0: God is doing something new among us. Does anyone else notice? Uh, God is bringing new breath to our lungs. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're going to turn to God's Word. I wish I had three or four hours, but because we love our kids team and we love our young people, then uh, you're only going to get an hour and a half today, okay? So, um, I feel like I've been brewing this message for months and months and months, and uh, in the context of what we're going to be discussing in the Bold and Witness series, it just seems now is the time to share what God's laid on my heart. Just firstly, I want to say a personal thank you to those that have been tracking um, my own journey over the last six months or so, uh, since I was led by the Lord to take on an additional assignment. Uh, with the uh, One YMCA, which is a regional uh, YMCA, um, and I took up the role at the invitation of the Lord uh, to do that part-time. Uh, alongside now working part-time uh, here in Wellspring, doing uh, the rest of my week for One YMCA. All I can say uh, is the, is the favour of the Lord is on what he's doing. He has he just blessed it. So uh, I have an amazing team, and uh, we're seeing the sea in the YMCA get bigger and clearer and more and more prominent as I get to talk about Jesus Uh, To people that I'd never even met before, at levels of responsibility and around boardroom tables, if you like, that otherwise I would never have been in. And do you know what? The Lord is challenging me personally to be someone who is strong in faith. And that requires me to be deeper in prayer and is making me bolder in witness. Does that sound familiar uh, to some people? The Lord is taking me on a journey that I believe He's taking us on. And uh, I would. there's nothing I'd rather talk about than the person and work of Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. So thank you for your prayers for that. Now, David Dogwell, our lead pastor, a couple of weeks ago uh, kicked off this series about being bold in witness. We're talking about understanding what it means to be a new creation. And then last week, Dr. John Andrews, with his strange accent, um, he... He was talking about the three kind of elements of what it means to be truly won over and to become a follower of Jesus. It involves a private kind of inward personal repentance, but also he talked about the water baptism being the step into a public confession, and then he talked about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that then we are therefore equipped to go together as a church family into mission. It goes from being personal to corporate. It goes from being private to being public. And so today I'm kind of laying another layer of foundations as we consider what it is, this actual gospel that we say we believe. That if we don't know what we're witness to, maybe we'll never be bold about it. Can I hear an amen? So, um, so just bear with me. Today's message um, kind of needs a bit of a health warning. What I'm gonna say today is not politically correct. I'm not setting up to offend anyone. I don't want to upset anyone, but I probably will. And I don't really make an apology for that because the gospel is an offense to those who refuse to accept it. And so uh, I hope to be true to the word of God, but that might make me unpopular. And to everyone at home, hello. I I don't mean to offend any of you either. Thank you for joining us. I do want to say those at home, if I'm competing with another screen somewhere, either do something with that other screen or listen to me. Honestly, uh, I'm not very good as the radio. So please just put the other distractions aside if you can. Just set everything down and hear the word of the Lord. Or just do something else. Uh, But don't pretend to do half. It doesn't really work. Is that all right? See, I've upset somebody already. (laughs) That's not my intention. Now, I want you to use your imaginations uh, with me if you can. Just imagine this. Go with me, okay? Imagine there is a virus. Imagine this virus, can you you just, just imagine, imagine this is a global virus that is indiscriminate, that in fact, it threatens everyone around the world with death. It's a deadly virus. I wonder if you can imagine what that would be like if everyone was at risk of this virus gripping their lives. Imagine this virus tears families apart. Uh, maybe it does because they can't be together, or actually because they argue about whether or not the virus is actually real. Can you imagine that? Imagine a virus that rips through communities, that ruins really good plans. Imagine a virus that damages ambition that, that means that what people set, set out to do fails. Imagine this is indiscriminate. And then, if you can imagine this, alright? Imagine. That there's a rumor that the virus isn't real. Imagine on Facebook, people are saying, there's no virus. There's no virus. Imagine there being rumors that actually somebody made up that it's not real and it's not deadly. Can you imagine? Are you with me so far? I know you're having to stretch your imagination a long way, right? We can't ever imagine a time like that, can we? Then imagine that there is a cure. Imagine that this cure completely removes the effects of this virus on everyone. In fact, there's a 100% success record for this virus uh, cure. So the cure affects everyone, but... Sorry, the virus affects everyone, but the cure also works for everyone. It not only prevents death, but restores health. Can you imagine? Then can you imagine the rumours You know, again on on Twitter or or Facebook. See, I'm saying this way they can't sue me. Now just um, imagine, imagine that there's rumors around, do you know what? The cure doesn't really work. Imagine the 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 rumour goes around that the cure, not only is it not actually a cure, but it's gonna kill you. Can you imagine that? Imagine people whispering around, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it's not really the cure. There is no virus and there is no cure, imagine that. And you see, the thing that affects whether or not we accept those things, it's a very complex things uh, about what we think, what we believe, what we act on, uh, that those things are really complex because as I explained a few weeks ago, if you remember with all those influences in our mind, that, that there are things that influence our decision making that are to do with emotions, there are voices in our head there are voices in our phones. There are voices coming from the screens. There, there are opinions. There are semi-facts, which means it makes it not really facts at all. Uh, there are memories that influence what we do and what we think. There are, there are actually, there are feelings that influence. And all these things come together and they, they kind of determine whether we accept something or reject it. Whether we accept it as true or we reject it as, well, it's not my truth. Have you discovered your truth yet? It's not my truth. It might be your truth, but it's not, you know, if it's if it's just your truth, then I'm really sorry. I'm it's not truth, right? If it's just yours. Imagine being in a situation where we don't know which way's up. That we don't know what's true. And we don't know who to trust. We don't know who's worthy of our trust. And you see, when we make decisions about that, our experience, our knowledge, and our thinking comes together and it determines whether or not we believe these things to be true. So, so I'm talking to you today, the reason we want to lay a foundation of what it means to be a bold and witness because actually the, the gospel of Jesus Christ claims, Jesus claims to be the way to receive life in a context of certain death. And so, if we understand how that what that really is, in fact, if we're not going to be bold in witness, unless we're confident of what I'm talking about today. Now, think about this: the, the the New Testament was written by loads of authors, and one of them was a man called Saul, who got a new name, Paul. Right? You know this already. You know he wrote much of the New Testament. And it's important to point out, if you've heard about the Damascus Road experience, many of us have heard of that. Even those who've never read the Bible have heard of having a Damascus Road experience. What happened was that the Osama Bin Laden of the day, the Antichrist of the day, was uh, on his way to Damascus. The risen Jesus, uh, who he thought was dead, the risen Jesus appears to him, and they have a conversation. It's awesome. And it's so blinding, this experience, that, that Saul is blinded and he ends up uh, for a few days kind of waiting for the next stage. In, in Acts chapter 9, we don't have time to read this, but in Acts chapter 9, 17 to 19, something happens. Ananias comes to him and they have an experience where he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gets baptized. Okay, So what John was talking about last week, he had a personal repentance then he made it public through baptism in water, but also he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Saul becomes Paul. A terrorist becomes a church planter. It's a great story. Uh, he changes around completely. So uh, in 1855, when he sits down to write a letter to the church, that, we know the letter is called Romans. It was a letter intended for multiple Christians around the area. When we find out what he wrote and we hear it, Remember his story. Remember what he knows, not in his head, but, but think about what he really knows in his own life. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. And as you're following the reading plan, uh, this is actually the reading for today. How about that? So um, before I read it together, and we're just going to read it one time in the New Living Translation initially, um, I, I've got some homework for you or some work for you. As we go through 17 verses, I want to ask you the question, what is the virus and what is the cure that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8? What is the virus? See if you can spot it. And what is the cure? So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, and it's in the middle of a flowing passage of uh, incredible arguments where he's talking about the inward struggle of those that are not in Christ. Then Romans 8 chapter 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Are you looking for it? The virus and the cure. Verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. It never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. He's talking now to them as believers, okay? But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Wow. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore... Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we're his children, we're his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Wow. There are a million sermons in those 17 verses. But I wondered if you noticed it. The virus and the cure. What's the virus? What did you see? Sin. The, the sin or the sinful nature. Or in some translations, the flesh. Does so anyone have that in their translation? The flesh. You're right. In fact, the word in the original Greek this was written in is sarx or sarkos. And it means it means selfishness, the sin. It means our flesh that is stained that is like permanently stained with self-centeredness, it it means our mortal bodies. It means the desires and everything that that puts us at the center. This is the virus. It sucks. The sinful nature. this, This thing that we're all born into. Paul says we're born with this. We're born into this. That selfishness, since the fall, born into sarks, into the flesh, is so powerful. It determines and impacts what we desire and what we do, and it impacts what we fail to do, not just what we do. The things we choose not to do are sometimes just as selfish as the things that we choose to do. It's a deadly sickness. There is a 100% mortality rate to this virus. Martin Lloyd Jones says, "The first breath that you ever breathe is one of your last. It's a universal condition. It's the one disease we'll all die of, and that is our mortality. We will die. It's 100%. How it happens is one thing, but actually, that our physical and spiritual death is a dead cert without Christ. This is the virus. I told you this wasn't comfortable. I told you this is not a popular opinion." But Paul knows what he's talking about, right? Remember, the terrorist turned pastor. He knows what he's talking about. This sinful nature is insidious. It reaches to the very core of everything that we do and say it's deadly. It affects our relationships. It actually affects our bodies. We're all all kind of slowly. This is really cheery, isn't it? We're all slowly kind of decaying. Some of us faster than others. We do what we can to prevent it, but we all decay. It's built into now because of sin and selfishness. It actually impacts our communities. It impacts how people do business. It impacts, I've discovered, why people do charity. It impacts things that we do. It are all impacted by the sarks, by the virus. And as Paul says elsewhere in Romans, the wages of sin is death. But I've got great news for you today because that's tough news to swallow. I've got great news. There is a cure. And I'm not talking about a cure. I'm actually talking, this is what Paul says. There is the cure. Oh, I just got in trouble. The, did I put the before that? Yes, the cure. It's either not a cure at all or it is the cure in the universe. Did you notice what the cure was in Romans chapter 8? The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, the fire of God, the fire of God. Can we have the, the, let's get, isn't it interesting how the universal symbol for first aid is a cross? I love that anyway. Let's have the next one, Dave. See, what we've actually got is the fire of God. So instead of death, we are offered what is the fire of God. That's what, Romans, it's not a belief system. He's saying the personal work of the Holy Spirit is the, the whole source, is the way that we go from death to life. And the Greek word for that is pneuma. Pneuma, the spirit of God, the breath of God to breathe life into what is dead. Hallelujah. He breathed over those dry bones in Ezekiel. You know the vision. The breath of God is the cure. That's what Paul is saying. Now, if you didn't catch that from all of that long text, I want to read to you from the message paraphrase of this same passage, and this will bring it to life even more. Listen to this. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is living in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who's not welcomed this invisible but clearly present Christ, this spirit of Christ won't know what you're talking about. But for you who welcomes him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourselves experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you, this is great, that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with his spirit living in you. Your body will be as alive as Christ. Oh. Oh, the virus is deadly. But oh, the cure is so wonderful, so beautiful, so majestic, incomparable to any human effort. This is not human effort. This is the God of heaven, full of compassion on the world that he made. He so loved the world, it is in that he sent his son Jesus and he resurrected him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this, uh, if we can, this um, diagram here to give you some idea. This is how, this how things are on the world. There is the fall. That's when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, decided to take, uh, if you like, their own dominion to their own hands and rejected God. Then we entered into death. But there is life. There is expansive life. Let's have the next diagram. This is what Jesus did. And this is really, really awesome. Not the diagram, the truth it represents. This is what happened. Jesus became flesh. Philippians 2, he became obedient to death. Even death on the cross. He got the sickness. He was infected with the virus, but, and this is the biggest but, in the history of humanity and the universe, but he defeated the virus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised again after three days and now is seated in heavenly places, exalted. This is the gospel. He was infected with death, but it didn't taint him. Instead, three days later, he rose again by the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, as we just heard from from the message, and now that same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us, the church. We become people of the cure. We become cured, not because of us, but because of him, filled with the Holy Spirit. We now live the life of Christ for all eternity. And then the the tainting with sin becomes just a moment compared to the joy of eternity with God. Hallelujah. I'm preaching myself happy today (laughs) because there's so much to be miserable about. And frankly speaking, there's so many miserable Christians that have not discovered the fullness of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And they're kind of at the cross, but they don't know the resurrection fully. I'm just sharing my heart with you. I'm just sharing my heart. The, The way that you know, is the, is the way that we, that we behave in the world, the way, we, the way we are when there's an opportunity to worship him, the way we are when someone mentions the name of Jesus. If we shrink away in public places because, oh, I don't want to upset anyone. I just want to say to you, if that's you today, I understand that. I understand what it means to wrestle with doubt. But this is, this is all I can say. We need more of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not ashamed of what he did on Easter Sunday. And Jesus didn't do all that for nothing, for us to be the frozen chosen. He didn't do that for us to be kind of just half a tiptoe in the kingdom. He he, he did all of that so that we might dance in the kingdom of God, living a full life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He raised us to life in Christ. And this is why we sing, and this is why we meet, and this is why we pray. And really, this is why we breathe. Because there's no greater name than the name of Jesus. We will not shrink back. And for us to be bold in witness means to regain our confidence. And that means actually we have to admit there is the virus. Shh. Play that down. No, that's just, that's some old, you know, first century tradition. That's just Christian tradition. That's just Christian theology. Listen, if this thing for, for us is just a series, is like a, the things that we think or a belief system, then we'll just see it on the shopping, you know, on the shelf, the empty shelves in Tesco. We'll see it alongside all the other belief systems and we'll just be happy with our own and be equally happy with everyone else's. Now, of course, we show respect and love and dignity. Of course, I love a whole load of people that I disagree with vehemently. I love them. I love loads of people I disagree with. But listen, the one thing I won't compromise in is that this, for me, is not just a belief system. This is my life story. This is actually a relationship. And this is the question, is it about what we know or who we know? And see, for Paul, the reason that he wrote some stuff to tell the early church who were maybe fading in their commitment to this, he, he knew the Holy Spirit. He'd met the risen Jesus. No one's taken that away from him. So he writes to the Romans and remember, remember what Jesus did. That it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit that you can cry to the God of the heavens. Abba, Father. Now, don't get me wrong, we live in a stormy time, and doubt is normal. Doubt is very natural. It's really normal to have your doubts. But as Robert Sheila said, sometimes we need to doubt our doubts. Maybe sometimes, one man said that doubts are proof that your faith has a pulse. (laughs) Warren Bennett said, trust resides squarely between faith and doubt. But Paul writes to reassure the early church to doubt their doubts, to remember the Holy Spirit's work, to receive breath to their faith where it had waned. Hallelujah. Amen. And we're so distracted. And I just sense the heart of God is to say, look at me. Not me, but look at me. Look to the cross. And what happened after the cross And the sending of the Holy Spirit, look to me, look to him, and you'll feel the breath of the Holy Spirit breathing on the embers of what faith there is left. And listen, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks when you know who you know. It doesn't matter. We respect and we love, but that doesn't mean we have to agree. Hallelujah. Today everyone's concerned about especially after the coronavirus. It, everyone's concerned with getting our physical health just right. Oh, don't get sick. Whatever you do, you know, don't get sick. The worst thing that could happen is you could lose your physical health. We have a physical health crisis. And some of you I know are on a waiting list for some. The NHS can't do what they need they used to be able to do now because you have to wait. I understand that to get physically well is like a, a life goal. But like I said, you know, and I'm, that's all good, but we're all decaying. One day, or another, something is going to break. But we seem to be obsessed with physical health. It's not that economic health. We are in an economic health crisis. We are in a crisis that we, no one, not even the cleverest brains in the Western world know how this is going to play out. And some of us are directly affected because it's already the middle of October and we've got more month left than we do have money. You might say, well, what we need to do is we need to get fiscal health, economic health, We seem obsessed with that. Or maybe we are recognized as a mental health crisis, and there is. And I'm thrilled with the whole Wellspring Wellness Initiative. I'm so delighted we have befrienders that are going to help deal with those between 18 and 25 years old, come alongside them to help them on a a journey towards wholeness. There is a mental health crisis. And of course, that's important that we're in there as well. But do you know what? Uh, beyond all of those things there is a spiritual health crisis in this land and in this world and it has to do with <laughs> the virus of death and there is the cure of life Amen. available Amen. we have a spiritual health crisis mark 8:36, jesus says what profits a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul We're in danger of doing just that. Please don't get sucked into that way of thinking. Please don't forget who you know. Let's not forget as a church who we are. And our witness will be bold when our lives are renewed by the Holy Spirit. Our witness will be bold when we remember when we draw closer to the God who raised us from the dead, hallelujah. I'm risen again, by the way, I'm born again. I've been born into the life of God and that's nothing I deserved. I'm telling you, if nothing I could ever do to deserve such kindness and such favour. And the heart of God for everyone at home and everyone in all of our lives, in our offices, in our schools, the heart of God is not one of pointing the finger saying, well, you're stupid and you stay there. No, it's like, you're loved and I want you here. The heart of God is for every person on the planet to be touched and filled by the spirit of the resurrection. And my prayer today is that we would celebrate him like we've never celebrated, that we would reach out to him with fullness in a way that we never have before. That's my desire and that's my heart. And I hope this hasn't upset you, but I hope it's disturbed you. I hope it's disturbed any, any pantheism, any, anything in you that's kind of universalist in the sense that you just think everything is equally true. Because I'm telling you, Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to, to see him just amongst one of other worldviews. He either is the worldview or he's not at all. Just honestly, just leave the whole thing. Being part of the church is way too painful if he's not risen again, isn't it? Why would we bother? Why would we bother unless he is risen and the spirit of Christ is available for all of us? Hallelujah. I wonder if the band could come up and we're going to worship the Lord. That's the best response. Let's worship the Lord. Let's draw near to him. And do you know what? We are going to become bolder in witness because of our confidence in what Jesus did in breaking through. When that stone was rolled away, hallelujah. When that stone was rolled away, all the heavens shook. When breath returned to the lungs of Jesus and he walked out of that tomb. And then the world was really turned upside down just a matter of days later when a group of people met in the upper room and they were waiting for the promised breath of God. And then, like the sounding of a mighty wind, the room shook with the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying that as a church family, we would be shaken again with the work of the Holy Spirit, that we would breathe again the breath of God, and the weak would be made strong, and the empty would receive the Holy Spirit, And those little embers of faith would burst into flame again. Even as we wait for the day when Jesus returns for a bride that is prepared, for a church that is ready, that we won't be carrying in the corner, just biding our time until he comes, but our eyes will be wide open to the horizon, busy telling people about him. And then he returns. So, Lord, help us. So, Lord, help us. And, God, we want to say we're sorry. I just, I'm just going to lead out in prayer. I've not prepared what to do now. We just say, God, would you forgive us? Forgive us for our compromise, Lord. Forgive us for forgetting you, Lord. Forgive us for diluting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgive us for running on empty. Like our petrol tanks, Lord. Forgive us. And so we run to you again and we say, Would you fill your church again in the mighty name of Jesus? Would you fill your church again in this land, in this town, and in this time, Lord? We pray. Come, Holy Spirit. The weak made strong in the Saviour's love. Hallelujah. Make us strong, Lord. In Jesus' name.